0: If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML.
1: Hey, it's Hamilton
2: Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Big Ben Strong is on the board.
1: Wild Willerskin booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard and Jennifer McQueen. Here, Scott Thompson.
3: We talked about this when they uh, set up their lineup a while ago, and it's great that uh, the Burlington Sound of Music Festival is, uh, you know, uh, fully recovered, no strings attached, and kicks into uh, full swing. uh, Already started, really. Miles Resek is with us, CEO of the Sound of Music Festival, and here now. Miles, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
4: Oh my gosh! Am I ever? I'm uh, I'm backstage right now. Everything is happening, and we are absolutely buzzing from an amazing night last night.
3: So obviously, last night kicking it all off. How did it go?
4: Oh wow! Uh, so we had a flock of seagulls, men without hats, the spoons uh, over on the west stage with we bad flower and broken love and harmonies and OBGMs. There was there was probably seventy or eighty thousand people in this park. It was <laughs> oh. in. The men without hats and flock of seagulls and spoons. Like they yeah, stole the night. That. Yeah, uh, it, it was wild. It was wild. And like the weather held out. It was just yeah, such an amazing night.
0: Wow, what a what a
3: cool lineup. Eighties uh, lineup too. So, uh, are you surprised at the at the turnout? Uh, is the because this thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger uh, post pandemic. Obviously, uh, no strings attached this time out. How is it different?
4: Um yeah, you know, we just we just keep trying to deliver a bigger and better party is honestly what it comes down to. Like we we spend so much time and energy on programming to make sure that, you know, we're putting something together that isn't like, oh yeah, you know, we we want people to see this and go, "Oh, that's cool." And then they find out it's free and that's even better. And so like yeah, like that—that that, uh, kind of retro '80s lineup last night. You know, we knew it was going to be big. We we thought, oh, people are going to love this. I, I will be fully honest. I did not <laughs> think it was going to be that explosive, wow. um, but the energy matched the crowd. Like it was such a crazy good night
3: that is incredible to hear miles it really is good stuff man and uh what a, what a way to kick it all off so uh, give us a, give a, give us the rest of the weekend and we'll get that out of the way right away uh, all what's, right what's so tonight, tonight and the rest of the weekend
4: yes tonight on our main stage uh, we uh, from our headliner down we've got default saliva lands down goodnight sunrise in about uh what are we at here i'd say in about 15 minutes uh, we're going to have Elton Ron on the stage, which if you've never seen Elton Ron, he looks, he sounds, he plays like Elton John. Like, <laughs> yeah. you don't realize it's not him. It's pretty intense. Um, yeah, so that that's our main stage. Over on uh, West, we're going to have our classic rock night with Lee Aaron, Coney Hatch, Svengali, and Duraps. Uh, Lee Aaron, I was actually just, I snuck in, was listening to soundcheck. She sounds phenomenal. And this is actually Svengali's first live performance since reuniting. So I Mm. I think it's going to be such an amazing night over there. I think default is going to be in top form over here. Uh, And, you know, we're expecting just a ton of people in this park again.
3: And what about throughout the – so this runs right until Sunday, correct?
4: It sure does. Saturday night we've got the Struts and J.J. Wild, uh, another massive, massive bands. Uh, we've got the Roadhammers and Lindsay L. Moving into Sunday, we're going to have uh, Crash Test Dummies and I, Mother Earth, uh, the Mono Whales, along with Chad Brownlee. Um, it, like, it's going to be huge. And then we've got our Civic Stage and Street Fest kicking off on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, Street Fest, uh, Civic Stage, headliner Billy Rafool. Um, direct support, we've got Teddy. Sunday up there, we've got the Darcy's. Uh, and Cam Cahill, it's going to be so good. And then Street Fest is Saturday and Sunday, everything up there for the family. Uh, an instrument petting zoo, a dinosaur acrobat—yes, that's a real thing. Um, face painters and cosplayers, and like it's—it's just—it's crazy to think that you know we're only a day and a bit in, and we still have an entire half a festival to build. <laughs> it's going to be so great. That is cool.
3: So to somebody who's never been to this event, or Spencer Smith Park for that matter, describe it. Describe what you would see on an average day. So,
4: this Wow, is during Canada's, the festival, of course. Yeah, this is Canada's largest free outdoor music festival. So... This festival, we have three main stages that are running. There's hundreds of vendors from, you know, crafts and retail all the way through to uh, uh, amazing food vendors. Actually, if you uh, jump on our, our social media, yesterday at a Facebook Live at one of the food vendors who had a hot wing that the menu says, do not order No refunds given because it's so hot. (laughs) I ate a couple of them live on Facebook. They were—if you like hot—they were delicious. They were bloody hot, but man, were they good! Like there's so much good food here. Uh, Yeah, there's there is literally something for everyone. A full carnival with rides and games, midway, all of it. It's all here until Sunday afternoon.
3: Any idea, any prediction, what your attendance could be by the time you close it out Sunday?
4: If last night is any indication, I think that we are going to find ourselves upwards of a half a million people, which is what I really wanted to see.
3: Okay, any tips for those coming down, what to bring, what not to bring, park, transportation, all that sort of stuff?
4: Best thing to do is head to soundofmusic.ca. Everything you need to know there is there. Uh, parking is rough downtown, but if you head on up to the Burlington Center, uh, there is a free shuttle running from there. There's tons of parking up there. It'll get you to the park. It'll get you back. Otherwise, schedule, lineup, VIP ticket upgrades, everything that's going on, you'll find it at soundofmusic.ca.
3: All right, Miles Rusick with the CEO of the Sound of Music Festival in full swing and a uh, just a banger night last night to kick it all off. Miles, thanks Absolutely. so much for the time. Good luck. Have a great weekend.
4: Scott, thank you. I always appreciate the coverage. You take care.
3: We talked about this uh, a lot, especially during uh, various stages of the pandemic uh, and such. And and I remember um, just at the beginning stages of the pandemic, lots of people looking for pets. And I remember thinking, you know, our family was so fortunate that, like, maybe a year before the pandemic, we got a new dog. So, uh, and, and you know, obviously, uh, anybody who has dogs, pets, loves them, knows what that's like. And And of course, certainly a great deal of help during uh, a global pandemic when we were all confined to our homes and this, that and the other. And I I remember talking to various uh, SPCA's or or what have you and that um, and we have nothing. Like, seriously, we in very unusual, but there's nothing there. People had adopted uh, pets and, and so on and so forth. And then, unfortunately, as the pandemic end ended or or, or uh, we certainly came to terms with whatever the new normal was at the time, um, you know, people started going back to work, going back to the regular lives. All of a sudden, um, perhaps didn't have the time for the pet uh, costs rising through the roof. Uh, and And we're seeing a lot of those animals being returned. Uh, and a Simcoe County Animal Rescue Agency is asking for help as adoption rates sit at an all time high um, while more dogs are coming into their care. Precious Paws Rescue says the post pandemic and then the rising cost of living, seems seeing a increase in dogs even being abandoned, as well as uh, hopefully taken to, to organizations like this where they can f- try to find a home from them. Let's bring in Cassandra Houck, founder and board president of Precious Paws Animal Rescue. And- with us now, Cassandra. Thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
5: Hi, thank you for having me.
3: So, what is the situation right now at your rescue? Uh, you're full.
5: Full. Uh, well, we've actually had to put an intake hold on right now. We have uh, quite a number of dogs that are been sitting in foster for quite a while with no adoption interest. And, uh, it's just been, it's been really overwhelming this year. So at the moment we are not able to take in any new dogs in need. And we are saying no to, to several every day.
3: Wow. And you know, unfortunately what happens when we have to say no?
5: It's it's a tough one. Um, you know, yeah. dogs are sitting in shelters waiting that, you know, aren't doing well in the shelter and need to get into a foster home environment that the rescue provides. And unfortunately, they're just stuck where they are. Uh, we have northern communities who have stray dogs that need to come out. Those dogs are are being right. left um, because we just don't have the space for them. Um, and of course, owners who aren't able to look after their dogs, they're, you know, they're at a loss as well. They don't know what to do with the dogs that they, that they can't look after.
3: When did you start to see a real increase, a real, a real uptick? Uh,
5: so it's kind of happened slowly. Definitely since the beginning of 2023, um, you know, when people started going back to work, I think uh, we did see a bit of a rise in dogs being. Um, surrendered to rescues i think the biggest thing now is that um you know during the pandemic there was such a demand for dogs that you ended up having quite a lot of backyard breeders and puppy mills that were you know they increased what they were producing um now you have a situation where we're even being asked to take dogs from puppy mills and backyard breeders that they're not able to sell because they're you know sales are down as well so um, we're kind of being hit from all angles as a rescue organization owner surrenders shelters strays from northern communities and then also now we're taking in these dogs that you know people probably shouldn't have bred in the first place
3: (laughs) Hmm. wow yeah um and also for some people just the rising cost of life and living uh and obviously having a pet is not cheap Uh, a lot just can't afford them anymore
5: Yeah, I think that definitely happens. I think what we're seeing more so in rescue is that um, people, many people who got dogs during the pandemic did not put the time and training into them. They now have one, two-year-old dogs that are much bigger than the cute little puppy that they brought home that now have separation anxiety and behavior concerns that should have been addressed from the start, but probably weren't because they were stuck at home for the most part.
3: And you know, like anything, when when you're when, when you're making a big move like this, like getting a pet, it is so important that you do do the research and you understand what the responsibility is.
5: Absolutely, I definitely think that was something that was lacking in a lot of decisions. Um, you know, people getting maybe breeds that weren't right for them, or just getting dogs when it, it maybe wasn't the best time for them. So-
3: I actually heard that there were dog or pet food banks for people who were having in some areas people were having a hard time meeting the you, you know the food budget for the dog
5: there are, and uh, Precious Pops actually runs we have a fund called Loved at Home, where we will help out families who aren't able to feed their pets, so we provide free food. Um, we also have provided emergency veterinary care, so if someone ha- is in a situation where they may have to surrender their dog, um, just a couple weeks ago, actually, we had a young husky that needed an eye removed because he had severe mm. uh, glaucoma, and the owner wasn't able to afford it, was looking at having to surrender the dog or euthanize, and so we stepped in and paid for the surgery so that he could keep his dog so um yeah but we try to have programs where we can support dogs staying in the homes that they're in as well you know the the taking them and and vetting them and rehoming them is just a band-aid on a much bigger problem
3: and you know there's uh, a lot of these people it's not a case that they don't want them anymore it's just they can't do it and it's it's crushing for them to give them up as well
5: Yeah, absolutely. There are there are those situations. So, you know, hopefully with programs like our left at home fund, um, we can step in and and keep those dogs in homes that that really do love them and care for them.
3: So how long do you think this trend uh, trend is going to last, Cassandra? How long do you think things are going to before things settle down a bit?
5: Uh, it's, you know, we've been doing this, well, with Precious Spas, we've been in operation for 17 years, and I haven't been in this type of situation before. Um, we've definitely seen where adoption applications have kind of declined around the spring, summer time when people are traveling, um, and those kind of normal fluctuations. Um, this has just been going on all year long, where, you know, even, you know, healthy habits three-month-old puppies aren't getting applications. They're just sitting in foster care waiting, and uh, that certainly hasn't happened before.
3: And, you know, obviously something to, to point out, if you're a family out there, somebody out there who's looking for a pet like this, uh, you know, before you go out and, and buy something or whatever, check what is around in, in, in organizations like yours that, that need to be adopted.
5: Absolutely. there's Shelters and rescues are full all across the province. And, you know, if you are deciding to go through the breeder route, just make sure that you're doing your research like anything. You know, you should research the rescue that you're getting your dog from, you should the breeder that you're getting your dog from. And, you know, trying not to support those backyard breeders and puppy mills that are really just creating a larger problem here that we're just too overwhelmed. We cannot fix this on our own.
3: And what advice do you have for that pet owner that they just can't go on, they have to give the dog up, or what What? What do you, what advice do you have for them?
5: Uh, I, honestly, right now, it's so hard. Those are the ones that we're, we're getting emails daily from people who yeah. can't keep your dogs, but they've contacted rescues across the province. They're, right. you know, the shelters are also, the SPCA, they're directing them out to organizations like ours because they don't have space right. either. And so, you know, anything that you can do to prevent that from from coming, you know, like... Try and put the training into your dog. If you can't afford puppy mm. classes, there are lots of free resources online to learn how to socialize your dog properly and train your dog properly so that hopefully you don't get into a situation where, you know, they're not welcome in the home anymore.
3: Cassandra Houck with us, founder and board president of Precious Paws Animal Rescue, Simcoe, uh, Simcoe County Animal Rescue Agency, asking for help. Uh, like all the SBCAs and such, they are full. Uh, something to c- consider if you are looking for a pet. Cassandra, thank for the time. Good luck.
5: Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 Chml.
3: Four K of a downtown uh, of downtown is uh, set to uh, to transform itself into an open walkable festival of speak. Uh, the 2023 edition of the Open Streets Hamilton Festival is the biggest the city has seen, and it will close King Street between Gore and Gage Park for four hours. Coming up on this Sunday, it's part fun, part experiment. Let's Let's bring in Peter uh, Topolovic, Project and Program Manager for Sustainable Mobility with the City of Hamilton and here now. Peter, thank you for the time. Hope you're well.
1: Yes, I'm doing great.
3: So it sort of sounds like this is part experiment. This is part fun. Uh, Explain to us what is going to happen.
1: Uh, sure, yeah. So yeah, it is definitely a pilot to test sort of a, a large-scale open streets uh, in the city. Uh, and then you know, in the morning, uh, pre-10 o'clock, uh, the street will be closed mm-hmm. to car traffic and open to people walking, cycling. Uh, and and uh, there will be transit um, either on, in the event or around the event, uh, so you can take transit to it as well. And parking if you want to drive and park. Uh, so uh, that will go from 10 till 2, and there'll be five major activation hubs uh, where you can, you know, bring yourselves or your children or both or your families. I know it's Father's Day as well. And people can come and, and really experience the street as a what we call a temporary uh, linear open park. So it's a little bit different than the street festival. Uh, because you know it, uh, there will be programming, of course, but it 's more of a of a, of a of a thinking about, thinking of the street as a park as opposed to a festival But there will also will be enough to be lots to do there, so uh, it 's a great place to to spend Sunday morning.
3: And okay, so that's the fun and unusual part of it and what we get to experience on, on a cool Father's Day, neat way to celebrate. What is the, what's the experiment part? What are, what are you looking at as, uh, the program manager for sustainable mobility with the city?
1: Right. So, from uh, OpenStreet's perspective, this is one of, uh, really a first. We, we've run sort of small pilots before. This is a very large pilot, um, where you know many cities do this. They do it regularly, uh, every Sunday or three or four Sundays a summer. Uh, and so we're we're and, and they do it on major corridors and they do it for ten kilometers. So this is not as big, of course. It's four kilometers and it's for a small uh, amount of time. But but we're, we're we are doing that test for that perspective. But uh, on the other side of it, of course, this is also the LRT corridor, and this is our opportunity to also look at what happens when we do close King Street for such a. Uh, a large segment and to see you know how traffic patterns uh, will flow and also uh, getting resident feedback and as well as looking at the transit reroute so all these things do have a little bit of a practical element to them uh, in in terms of uh, when construction is coming and allowing us to better prepare for construction and uh, make sure that both residents and businesses uh, can be the least impacted during that time.
3: So this is not, as well as it being a, you know, a great experiment and a, and a fun day, so to speak, you're watching what happens around the event and how traffic-wise the rest of the city copes with such a shutdown like this. That's your objective. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's our secondary objective. Our first is, of course, to have a wonderful uh, yeah. uh, open park. But, yeah, that's yeah. our secondary objective for sure. And we're already actually getting it. It's been great to get feedback from residents on the event itself, um, what we should be thinking about when we're closing street the street. Uh, so the residents have already been very helpful. Uh, and we're looking to get more feedback after the fact as well. Um, and, and, of course, during the event. So, yeah. There's, there's, there's actually lots going on with this uh from uh you know from a fun perspective and from an engineering perspective
3: uh and again you know you you said it's a fun pers- uh, a fun perspective um but not necessarily a festival why not go that route the idea is because it's a shorter duration of time and why the four hours as opposed to say eight or what have you
1: yeah I think the, for the four hours um, we really didn't want to in we wanted to t- it's a Since it's a pilot, we wanted to see how this works first and determine whether um, we should go a a little bit longer or not. Uh, We were were mindful about impacts. It's also about which most open streets function are usually in the mornings, Mm -hmm. not usually in the evenings. Uh, So that's one aspect. I think uh, uh, the other one is, you know, when you, street festivals are usually a much smaller segment of streets. Right. So when you, when open streets are just a bit different because there is some programming on it, but you're just, you're used, looking at a lot more kilometers of streets. So it's really more about recreation uh, with the, with the ability to have fun and, 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 and see exhibitors still, of course. Whereas if you look like at Supercrawl, it's a much smaller closure. Right. But you've got lots of concerts. Right. And so it's a lot more people in one area, but they're there to really look at concerts and, and these street vendors. It's a little bit different. So is, here, the we're really focused on the businesses of King Street and having them featured uh, during this event.
3: And, but the objective is to bring people in to see to this event, as opposed to just for the residents down there.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and 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 for the vendor, sorry, not the vendors, the uh, the businesses themselves to be featured as well. So not only the activity hubs, but also the businesses themselves. Uh, and and you're coming out to participate and and
4: any
3: advice Peter for those coming down tips
1: yeah absolutely I, I you know we there is actually a fair bit of parking around the event, so there is that opportunity to drive there. But of course, it's a great time to test maybe taking a a b- bike or a or a bird scooter or a bus uh, or walking or cycling and taking your own bike there um, to get a feel for you know what it, what it means to ride and then actually experience the street as a pedestrian or a cyclist or a scooter. Peter-
3: Peter Topalovic with us, project and program manager for sustainable mobility with the city of Hamilton. Open Streets Hamilton Festival goes this Sunday for four hours between 10 and 2. Good luck, Peter.
0: Thanks so much. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 C H M L.
3: Big weekend in the Hammer. Lots going on. Uh, Obviously, the Open Streets Fest coming up on Sunday. Sound of Music Festival going on in Burlington. And it's Pride. Hamilton's official Pride event may be delayed until August, but there are still celebrations, festivals, and entertainment taking place across the city, including this weekend's Comedy Festival at the Staircase Theater, the Uncloseted Comedy Festival. And to talk more about it, Ray locked us with us, organizer of the Uncloseted Comedy Festival and here now. Ray, thanks for the Time. Hope you're well.
6: Yeah. Thanks for having me. I am so well.
3: So, describe the Uncloseted Comedy Festival. What is going to happen? Tell us what to expect.
6: So, with the Uncloseted Comedy Festival. We have filled up every room, in the staircase, with all kinds of entertainment, just celebrating queer joy. We have stand-up comedy, sketch, drag, improv, burlesque, burlesque workshops, just anything that you can think of. We're probably going to have it happening.
3: Is this a first edition of? Yes, it is. And you hope to make it an annual thing?
6: Oh, yes. Currently, Uncloseted Comedy is a monthly showcase at the Staircase. So with Pride coming up, we decided, you know what, let's go big. And we did.
3: So are these amateurs that are going up to try it? Or are there uh, people who have been doing it for a while? What, what's What's the festival like?
6: It is a full combination of pros and amateurs. We have an open mic so we will get some first timers and then we have like our festival headliner Al Val and she's been at it for like 16 years so you can always expect like a good show with her.
3: And I understand there's even workshops if you if you want to try your hand at burlesque or whatever you want.
6: Yes, we have a burlesque workshop happening Saturday 5 to 7. And then we also have a feedback mic where you can go up, do your five minute set, and then get immediate feedback from Guelph's Jason Dogleash. Wow.
3: Wow. So this is uh, it's, it's quite the event. It's not just a show per, uh, per se.
6: No, it is a community building event, is what I would call it.
3: So, talk about how we uh, get involved. I understand you got a weekend pass. You can buy individual uh, event passes or, 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 or day passes or such. Talk about that and, and how we get a, and how we get on board.
6: Yeah, you got it. So, if you go to Uncloseted Comedy's Instagram or Facebook, or just look up the words, you'll find us, <laughs> and it'll take you to our Eventbrite. Through that, you can get a weekend pass, a day pass, or individual passes for any event that you want. We also have some free events happening, so you can get what we call the free pass.
3: And talk to me about Drag Bingo.
6: All right, so Drag Bingo is being hosted by Hamilton's own Noella DeVille, and she does Drag Bingo all over the area. So we have her (laughs) coming in to host and play bingo with us tomorrow. So
3: what is a night of Drag Bingo like?
6: It is... An exaggerated expression of bingo.
3: (laughs) Oh, I can just imagine. So, and how popular is it?
6: Actually, drag bingo is a huge event within the queer community. It started in the early 90s, mostly as a fundraiser for AIDS research.
3: That is incredible. So you're hoping that this becomes an annual event and, and continues on next year and such. Exactly. All right. If people want to find out more, and we should all say this is happening at the Staircase Theater, 27 Dundurn Street uh, North, all this weekend. If people want to find out more, website we can go to. What can we find out?
6: You can find us at Uncloseted Comedy's Instagram page or raylockdust.com.
3: And what about prices and such for the weekend and the pass and such?
6: So um, a full weekend pass is $85. That will get you into anything in the festival. And it also includes um, bingo cards with your passes. Um, uh, you, yeah, Each individual event will vary between free $5 to $15, and the highest being the burlesque workshop at 50
3: And talk about the event you're hosting at the Art Gallery of Hamilton.
6: All right, so that one's going to be a lot of fun. So at the Art Gallery, they have a monthly family fun day. So obviously for June, you want to make it a pride event. So it was kind of a no-brainer to combine forces. So for I, myself, and a good friend of mine, fellow comedian, Joelle Bolton-South, we're going in, and I'm going to run a family-friendly comedy workshop. There's going to be three 45-minute intervals, and they're all going to be different, and it's just going to be three hours of just understanding the roots of comedy in a child-friendly fashion while Joelle will be on the other side of the room doing interactive storytelling.
3: All right, it's all happening this weekend at the Staircase Theatre, the Uncloseted Comedy Festival, all sorts of events going all weekend long. Check out the website to find out more. Ray locked us with us, organizer of the Uncloseted Comedy Festival, running all weekend at the Staircase. Good luck, Ray.
6: Thank you so, so much. Thank
3: you. So it was fascinating kind of watching the whole ordeal with the Ottawa Senators and, um, and you know, the stars that were coming out to, uh, to I guess, woo this franchise. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was obviously um, somebody whose name came up, and then Snoop Dogg, and then uh, The weekend and such. And all of this was kind of going on, and then all of a sudden, boom, The team's been sold, and it's Michael Landlauer, uh, of course, owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs and has a minority ownership in in the Canadians as well, Montreal Canadiens and such. But he is the new owner. And then the funny thing is, is once the dust settles, you you think to yourself, wow, yeah, that was probably a pretty good choice. Uh, Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, professor to Group School of Business, McMaster University, and is with us now. Marvin, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
7: I am, and glad to be with you.
3: So, kind of a surprise, because there was a little bit of Hollywood uh, around this whole team and such, but certainly a very strong owner, would you
7: say? Yeah, I would agree. So, again, let me just give a little context to everybody listening to us. This sale was triggered by the death of Eugene Melnick, who had owned the team for many, many, many years. Uh, uh, When he died, his two daughters, who inherited, said, we don't really want to own the entire team, but they have retained a... 10% 10% stake, so in essence what was up for grabs was 90% ownership. Uh, what we saw during the uh, evaluation period was eight eight different bids come forward, and you're absolutely correct, Hollywood was involved, Ryan Reynolds was part of one, Snoop Dogg, The weekend, was part of them. Uh, eight bids were interested, only five of them made them to the finish line, and for instance, Ryan Reynolds' group did not make it to the finish line. Um, At that point, then, the the Melnick family had to look at these, decide which they liked the best. They also had to get the NHL involved, which ownership group do they like the best. Remember, these are franchises. You just can't sell them to anybody, like any franchisee. If you're a franchisee of Tim Hortons or McDonald's, the head office has to approve. And yes, absolutely, Michael Andlauer emerged. To the average person on the street, I don't know if they know the name Michael Andlauer, you put that in the context of sports, but Mr. Anlauer has made his money out of uh, healthcare care related businesses. So on that front, his collection of companies is worth over a billion dollars. He also has a fintech company, one of these sort of virtual banks. Uh, and uh, he's not the only person part of this group. The, for instance, the CEO and founder of Farm Boy, the grocery chain, is also part of this group. Um, And what we're not clear at this point is, well, what percent does each person have? What was the final number? Gary Bettman, I loved him. He said, well, it was a billion dollars plus or minus. Well, thank you, Mm. Gary. That really narrows it down for (laughs) us here. Um, And then the other thing that's really up in the air was that um, you may or may not know the Ottawa Senators play in a place called Canadian Tire Arena. It's 27 years old. It's in Kanata which is a bit of a drive outside of Ottawa. There has been a great interest in having a new arena. I wonder where I've heard that before, uh, in a place called Breton Flats. The city of Ottawa has also got some other land that is closer to downtown that they might like to see developed. A new arena would be on the order of $300 million, perhaps $350 million. And it's not clear again whether this bid includes building a new arena for the team. So there's still lots of details to emerge over the next week or two.
3: So we don't know if a new arena is part of the deal at this point.
7: No, at least from the way we understand it, Mr. Anlauer and his group has acquired the team. Now what they plan to do next, we're not sure.
3: Uh, I remember, and I guess I'm, 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 uh, I'm showing my age here, when, when the Canada Arena was relatively new. Um, uh, what happens to it if they decide to go, and, and I think it's a great idea to build this thing downtown in Ottawa, because honestly, in Ottawa, they roll up the, the, the sidewalks at 5 o'clock, and now with hybrid work, I don't think there's anything going on down there. I think it would be great for the city to have it down there. But what would happen to the old arena? Would they just tear that thing down or repurpose it? Any thoughts?
7: Yes. So, again, Scott, you don't necessarily know this. Your average listener doesn't know this. But back in 1990, 91, I had a very, very small role in attempting to bring an uh, an NHL team to Hamilton. At that time, I served on what was known as the HECFI board and just a teeny tiny peripheral role. The original plan behind the Ottawa arena was that it was going to be built and then surrounded by homes. And the original bidder for all of this, remember that team originally cost just $50 million, he was going to use this as a catalyst for a large housing development. So the belief is that if a new arena was built in Ottawa, the old one would be demolished, would be torn down, and primarily converted into housing.
3: Wow. There you go. Boy, how things have changed. So um, as this moves forward, uh, anything, do you see this being a major development for downtown Ottawa then?
7: Well, it certainly could be. Uh, Certainly if a new arena is in. Now, let's also keep in mind that any new arena construction would take at least two years, two and a half years. This is also a team that needs to be rebuilt. Uh, Scott, again, not that I'm the biggest uh, hockey fan in the world, but this team has failed to make the playoffs yeah. Not forget about a Stanley Cup has failed to make the playoffs for the last five years in a row so uh, Mr. Anlauer and his group also has to make the team competitive Another way of saying it is there's no real point, I think, of building a brand new arena if you don't have a competitive team. And that's going to take a couple of years. So he's got a couple of years to try to make all of this happen. By the way, Scott, here's another little footnote. Uh, you say to yourself, well, $50 million in 1990, 91, just sold for a billion dollars. Wow, what a big windfall. But that's actually a compound valuation growth of about 9.1% a year. So that's a good return on investment but not something amazing.
3: Hmm. So how should Hamilton react to this? How, uh, you know, I felt kind of odd once this happened. I think I felt like we (laughs) lost, I felt like we lost something Marvin that we weren't even involved in. How how does this affect the Bulldogs here in Hamilton?
7: Well, of course, you know, uh, when the announcement came out this week, Mr. Handlauer, I'm going to say, put a little job at Hamilton because he called them the the, uh, Brantford Bulldogs. The team is going to be relocated there for the next couple of years while we do a major redevelopment of the former COPS Coliseum, now First Ontario Coliseum. Uh, and I think it's interesting that even though the team has not yet played as the Brantford Bulldogs, that's what Mr. Anlauer decided to do. I, I'm not sure Hamilton has made a mistake, uh, but clearly we have not shown Mr. Anlauer as much love as he feels he would like to have. So in terms of maybe hoping that this gets us a team here in Hamilton, an NHL team in Hamilton, not sure how much Mr. Andlauer feels like he wants to open a lot of doors. On the other hand, I'm not sure we've made an enemy of him, but he isn't going to be the strong ally I think a lot of people had hoped.
3: Marvin Ryder with us, professor at the Group School of Business at McMaster University, talking about the sale, Ottawa Senators' ownership uh, with Michael Andlauer and what that means for the future. Marvin, as always, thanks for the time. Be well.
7: I will be. By the way, Scott, there's a minority interest in the Montreal Canadiens available if you're looking for an investment
3: opportunity. Can you give me a loan, Marvin? Can you help me out there?
7: Absolutely. A couple hundred million, would that
3: be good? (laughs) Sure. Thanks so much. All right, Marvin, have a great weekend.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Is it miscommunication? Uh,
3: Is it lack of leadership? Is it all of the above? Uh, It just seems that um, uh, whether it's ministers or the prime minister, uh, the staff seems to be driving the bus and at the back, not really paying attention, perhaps waving out the back window, are the ministers or prime ministers and don't seem to be aware of what is going on, whether it's election interference uh, with Bill Blair, or, or even the Prime Minister and calling out CSIS for not giving them the information, finding out that's not the case. Same thing now with Bernardo and, and the transfer uh, to a medium-security prison. Uh, they found out about it from corrections three months ahead of time and then days in advance, and the minister knows nothing about it. Tim Powers is with us, Chairman Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data, with us now. Tim, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
8: I'm doing fine, Scott. At least you and I can communicate with each other. and Hopefully, everybody will understand that over the next few minutes. Uh,
3: we look into each other's eyes and we tell the truth. That's how the only way to do it, Tim. <laughs> so, so as I do that, oh, wow, beautiful blue eyes, I'm guessing. Anyway, um, so is this a communication issue or is this just a, a breakdown of leadership?
8: It's it's uh, both and more, I think. There's there's something wrong in their system, um, and I don't know if that's the just the operational aspects of it, the leadership aspects of it, the culture of it. I mean, the Bernardo one is just utterly fascinating to me in how badly it was handled. I, I Unless you've been living under a rock, and I appreciate people who are younger than you and I, Scott, may not have the same given... Horrible memories and recollections of Paul Bernardo, but I would assume most Canadians at some level would know the name and know that it represents what it represents and, and the, the the evil that that person has has perpetrated. So, how a memo, you know, detailing what might be happening to Paul Bernardo, supposedly doesn't get to the minister is, is astounding. And I say this, Scott, as somebody who worked for a a very senior minister in another government Who worked for a former prime minister and knew as a staff person, as did everybody else on that staff, if something of significant magnitude related to that minister's responsibilities came on your desk, you didn't wait. You went and brought it to the minister's attention. So, boy, I, I just find this astounding.
3: It's and, and what is also astounding as is the, their free will to just throw staff under the bus, blame staff for it, blame CSIS, blame the courts in this case, like, uh, some sort of Canadian institution. How long can you keep doing that, and what kind of relationship does that form with your staff?
8: Well, look, um, ultimately a minister is responsible for his staff. And staff are humans. They make mistakes, too. Uh, but if the minister has to assume responsibility for them, again, we're sounding like the two guys, Stadler and Waldorf, in the balcony in the Muffet yeah. there, But, you know, uh, days gone by, this would have been a resignation uh, activity. Uh, and the minister probably could come back from all of that. But we haven't seen ministers. Ministers don't resign anymore. I mean, the last one that resigned. Uh, on on an issue of principle was Michael Chong in the early days of the Harper government Um, but years ago this resignations would have happened I mean can they come back I mean look I'll just tell you what our advocacy data said this week Um, they can but staggering numbers Scott 80% of Canadians want change now they're very fortunate the government is that they don't like um, Canadians right now don't like the alternatives that they see but those mm-hmm. alternatives are going to start to look a lot better, even if they may be uncomfortable with them, if this sort of stuff continues.
3: And how many times do we go to an election not to necessarily vote for some person, but to get the other one out? So, um, yeah. Um, this sort of has superseded the David Johnston thing, but it's not really a distraction, because it's it's another crisis. It's it's another hell. Will he resign? What, uh, meaning uh, Mendo, uh, Marco Mendocino, uh, will Will the Prime Minister ask for that? He's been pretty much absent from this whole discussion all week.
8: Yeah, I don't think at this point, unless something else comes forward, the Minister will resign. Uh, Let me say this. I know Marco Manichino, he's a good guy. He works hard. But even the best person has to take responsibility for something like this. But I think the play here is, from what I can see, Scott here in Ottawa, is they're waiting for the cabinet shuffle, because there invariably is going to be one. Now, it's been some suggestion it might be later in the summer, but they may they may move that up. The reason Mendicino um, hangs on is, I think, twofold. One, he does have a, a reservoir of loyalty in Ottawa people who do like him. Uh, secondarily, he's an important political uh, organizer for the Liberals, so they're being careful with all of that. But the the downside for them. Uh, and for the country, is it just perpetrates, pervades the uh, the, 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 uh, the the messages and symbols of incompetence right now?
3: Uh, Jugmeet Singh, NDP leader, had some pretty strong words about the prime minister, basically saying, "Forget the ministers. This is the guy making the call." Where does he do in all of this?
8: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, he's you know, if, if a staff is respons- if a minister is responsible for a staff, then a prime minister is responsible for our ministers and he's got a he's got some choices he needs to make right i um uh, so uh, he he i think he, he if he wants to set an example about accountability now's the time I, I again this is paul bernardo this is not joe smith who broke into somebody's home and you know, stole some watches this 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 is something that is symbolically and substantively important and the re-traumatization of that that is is going on. I mean you God, the Mahaffey family, the French family, the victims of Paul Bernardo's when he was the Scarborough rapist. Like oh how awful is this?
3: Tim Powers with us, Chairman Summa Strategies, managing director Abacus Data, talking about the issues in Ottawa with the federal government and communications or lack thereof. Tim, as always, thanks so much for the time. Have a great weekend.
8: You too, buddy.
0: Take care. Bye. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve
6: into the issue until he is. You're
0: listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. You might have heard a
3: little earlier on, the province has given strong mayor powers, superpowers, uh, to another 26 cities, including Hamilton, and that means Andrea Horbath will have strong mayor's powers, although said uh, that she was uh, more apt to try to find consensus uh, than use them. Some been saying that let's bring in colin demello queens park bureau chief for global news and here now colin thanks for the time hope you're well doing well thanks thanks for having me scott a busy day today again colin is this all about the the mayor strong powers in in another 26 uh, is this all about building more housing getting housing done
2: yeah, well, that's what the province uh, say uh, says, right? That's That's been their entire argument in favor of these strong mayor powers. But you have to keep in mind that, you know, Premier Doug Ford has had a unique experience uh, at Toronto City Council during a very traumatic period, right? You all remember his, his brother Rob Ford was caught up in a, a crack cocaine scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the local city councilors had kind of, like, stripped him of his powers. And, and so that was a real formative experience in politics for Doug board and he's always talked about the idea that you know um, having the mayor just be one vote on City Council as opposed to having a disproportionate voice when you know the mayor's really responsible uh, for a lot of what happens in the city and takes all of the flack for what happens in the city the the premier's always been in favor of these stronger mayor powers so you know while they say that this is all in the context of building housing uh, you know the housing crisis has really come into focus in the last couple of years as opposed to uh, you know having this be the argument argument for the last couple of decades Uh, but nonetheless though yes they say building housing and getting to 1.5 million homes by 2031 is the entire reason that they want to give mayors stronger powers to kind of speed up the process for developers to get from point a conceptualization uh, to point z uh, you know the actual realization of the project and have people move in so they want homes built as fast as possible and they say that this is one of the ways to get there
3: so uh, we've certainly had politicians in Hamilton where it seems citizens are frustrated because it's one step forward, two steps back, uh, lots of debate, nothing gets done, uh, it just around and around and around we go. So, for example, with housing, if they say there's delays with all of this debate and whatever, uh, the mayor can then push things along. Is that the objective here?
2: Absolutely. So so the mayor has a number of uh, powers, right? One is to set the city manager. One is to appoint, um, you know, a whole bunch of committee chairs, uh, as an example, and a lot of top-level bureaucrats. So if the mayor can appoint people who are like-minded, want to kind of push the system to get housing built faster, that is one tool that the mayor would be able to use uh, to speed up uh, housing. Next, if there are NIMBY policies, not in my backyard uh, policies, Mm. coming from other councillors, Uh, the mayor can veto some of those motions uh, coming from uh, other city councillors. Third, if the mayor wants to approve a particular project, as an example, they can do it with just one-third council support. Not a majority, a minority of councillors can back the mayor. Uh, But all of this, though, the key to all of this is it has to be done within the context of provincial priorities. So it's not as if, The mayor can willy nilly apply this power to everything that happens uh, in the city of Hamilton, as an example. Andrea Horvath would have to uh, make sure it aligns with provincial uh, priorities, and only then can she exercise these powers. So who sets those provincial priorities? It's Doug Ford. So in effect, Doug Ford now has direct reach and control over 28 municipalities. The 26 announced today, plus Toronto and Ottawa, that got strong mayor powers. So as of Canada Day of this year, 28 municipalities will have uh, you know, Doug Ford will have direct access and control into 28 municipalities, and we're talking about millions of people impacted by this decision.
3: And the mayor has a. Uh, ultimately, does the mayor, Colin, have the choice to use this or not? It's up to their discretion?
2: It is up to their discretion. They can choose to use it or not. We don't know what the would be if the if the mayor chooses to ignore all of these but we've heard from other mayors as well who have kind of started to say the mayor of ottawa has already said that they're not going to use the strong mayor powers uh mark sutcliffe um in toronto a lot of the mayoral candidates for the by-election have said that they are not going to employ these powers and a couple of other municipal uh leaders have also started saying that they won't use these powers unless absolutely necessary they still plan to govern by consensus so this is going to be an interesting test of how these powers are going to be used. And I suspect that it's only when push comes to shove, when the mayor finds themselves in a position that's untenable, that they are at odds with their city council and find that they can't get policy through, that's when they're going to start wielding the hammer. And and every time they use it, it's going to be controversial. And it's also going to mean a lot more uh, blowback for the mayor, because, you know, if you're a city council yeah. Great. No responsibility for you anymore. Just blame it on the mayor because city councilors' powers, in effect, are being weakened in order to give those powers over to the mayor.
3: Uh, We only got a few seconds left. Why the 26? Surprised at that many?
2: No, the 26 are – they've been given specific – uh, construction housing construction targets by right. the Ford government. In fact, there are 29 municipalities that got these housing construction targets. Uh, so 26 of them, these are the largest municipalities and growing municipalities. That's why they right. started with that. It just represents the biggest population base.
3: Colin DeMello with us, Queens Park Bureau Chief for Global News. Make sure you're watching Global Tonight for more on all of this as 26 more mayors get strong mayors' powers. Colin, thanks for the time. Have a great weekend.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900CHML. We have
3: talked about artificial intelligence an awful lot on this show. So much, you don't even know if this is me. It's not. It's uh, it's your imagination right now. I'm actually uh, I'm in Florida. <laughs> You know, um, it couldn't be too far from the truth. Uh, we look at the power of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, at the beginning, it was all about kids cheating with essays and tests and stuff. Now it's virtually everything, whether um, a new Beatles song or affecting elections. Let's bring in Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist,
9: and with us now. Carmi, thanks for the time. Hope you're well great to be here scott thanks for having me yeah i i, I laugh when i hear the yeah I, it's really me i'm a human joke and i've used it way too many times as well but uh, you know when i see an ad and i know that it's created by ai that's not funny like that as a journalist as a as an analyst as someone who's concerned about my community i've studied political science in university this scares the daylights out of me like we're, we're approaching a point where people almost don't in power almost don't care whether we whether, whether the the content they're sharing with us as part of a campaign is real or not and that should that should be like like we should be Picking up our pitchforks and marching in the streets at this point, and I'm kind of surprised that there isn't more outrage at this, point, at this point in time.
3: It's interesting. I saw a story earlier this week too about a radio station where they've taken their midday show and they, I guess, uh, sampled the person's voice and then did the show virtually with AI. It was a sampling of the person's voice. How does this affect elections? Uh, there's the concern whether it's the Toronto's mayor's race or the U.S.
9: presidency. How does this how does this affect our election process? It undermines the entire process tremendously, because if you, as a voter, you're being exposed to all these ads and all this content, all trying to get you to vote for that particular candidate. Uh, and, you know, what is more based on truth but democracy? I mean, that's that's what democracy is all about. And and truth allows you to decide that you prefer this candidate to the other, you, you know, whatever it is. And. And if suddenly they're slipping in assets, photos, videos, other forms of content that isn't real, that's based on artificial intelligence, how can you believe that anymore? And and if they're, if they're saying things that aren't happening, don't, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis' campaign using imagery of, of Donald Trump hugging Dr. Anthony Fauci, which never happened, that could make you decide something that you wouldn't have otherwise decided. That could sway your vote using a lie, which I don't know, last time I looked at Canadian democratic process, that was kind of banana republic stuff. Uh, You know, we've seen regimes use propaganda in the past. Now we're kind of adding computer generated propaganda falsehoods into the mix, and it's a terrifying direction for us to be taking. And it's happening in jurisdictions from Toronto with Anthony Fury, to Florida, to the US Republican Party is using them, pretty soon everyone's gonna be getting into it because hey, no one wants to be left behind, no one wants to lose the vote.
3: So we remember uh, a few years ago, speaking of of, of misinformation and, and information being transported across the internet that just wasn't true. But this actually looks like real stuff. So what you're seeing, as you said, uh, Dr. Fauci and President, uh, former President Trump hugging a a situation that never even happened. So this is taking information, misinformation, one step farther and actually providing a visual image to confirm to you that it it is true.
9: Exactly, and, and that what terrifies me here is this isn't just some anonymous account on social media uh, using a, a text to image generator to create content, content, and then spread it and sow misinformation and disinformation. These are sanctioned sources. These are election campaigns supporting candidates who I think we can argue are mainstream. Ron DeSantis, Anthony Fury, uh, the Republican Party. These are mainstream assets. They're not anonymous internet users. They're legitimate individuals and parties. And so that it's moved into that domain so quickly uh, without so much as much commentary and that these assets, these these images are being included in campaigns with no countervailing messaging, no giant warning on the screen. This is generated by AI. Uh, In many cases, there is no warning at all. Or if it is, it is so tiny. You have to be standing next to your screen, leaning into it to read the three point font. So we're being fooled. Uh, we're being played with and unfortunately because there's no outcry, because there's no framework, there's no legislation banning it, you're gonna see the use of this accelerate and used increasingly in election campaigns to the detriment of you and me because we're not going to know the difference between truth and, and not truth and we're going to see voters increasingly swayed by things that never happened in the first place
3: so at this point it's the responsibility of the candidate to check out what it ever whatever it is that they're forwarding are they actually creating this fake content are they just seeing it and like oh that looks good in my campaign
9: and pushing forward with it without verifying it it's a bit of both uh, in some cases they are simply sharing what's been provided to them or sharing something they found online uh, for example we've seen instances of of, uh, of of AI generated imagery picked up and some and retweeted, reshared, or incorporated into a campaign by uh, by a campaign. We've also seen them generate it themselves. Uh, so we do know, for example, that the the Ron DeSantis content was in fact generated by cam- campaign staff. So it's a bit of both, but the net impact on those who consume it, voters, is exactly the same. They're seeing an image. It tells a story that's designed to sway their emotions and get them on the candidate's side. And that's all based on falsehood because none of it ever happened. That picture was never taken. It's all computer generated.
3: So at the end of the day, what we need here is some sort of law that says if you are knowingly generating AI or using AI to spread a message, it's like you need a disclaimer up there that
9: said "This this is artificially generated content we do i mean we have laws for everything else campaign finance influence uh, you know influencing and uh competition i mean there are There's regulation across the board governing what candidates and their parties and uh, those agents who operate on their behalf are and are not allowed to do so. Why aren't we including technology in that? Especially as AI becomes so pervasive, why are we not considering similar frameworks to prevent the abuse of this? The, The irony is that many of these individuals are going to be elected into Uh, legislatures that will then be called upon to come up with legislation that governs AI for the rest of society. So how can you in good conscience get voted in uh, and then claim to be a responsible user of AI when your campaign ran roughshod over the truth and use the technology without any kind of limitation. So it's this is truly it's, it's, it's almost like the Hollywood dystopian future that we all feared is starting to come true and the pace with which we're seeing it be integrated injected into campaigns north and south of the border is kind of frightening. I was thinking about it this week and just thinking we're really in a new era. And unfortunately, it's not one that any of us really wants to be in.
3: Election interference comes in many forms, obviously. Um, Carmi Levy with us, technology analyst and journalist, uh, artificial intelligence and how it affects elections. Carmi, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Have a great
9: weekend. So great being Scott here, Scott. You too. <laughs>
3: Scott Radley joining us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after the 6 o'clock news. You can read him in your spectator.
10: He is here now. Scott, hope you are doing well. I am. Did you ever play guitar, Scott? Are you a guitar player?
3: No. You know what? I uh, I did have a guitar as a kid. I did try to do it, but I just did not have the discipline to practice. So I was just no, going to say,
10: because that song was yep. the first song every person has ever played on a guitar the <laughs> yeah. first time they pick it up. One It's finger. relatively <laughs> easy. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's an easy one to figure out. Anyway, how are you? I'm doing well. Well, how are you? Yeah, you know, doing okay. I'm here. How do you
3: How do you feel about Andrea Horvath? Uh, Andrea Horvath having strong mayor powers now. Yes, Hopefully she, she
10: uses it for good, not evil. That's right. She is the Lord and master of all creation. Do they give her a special suit when it comes to like a? You get uh, a cape. Well, you get a cape. Yeah, I was gonna say like the uh, what was the um, the uh, oh in the old yeah. days the cartoons with all the superheroes the uh, the. Um, where they all gathered together. What was that thing called? Anyway, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yes, it's, I'll think of it in a minute. It's Friday, <laughs> Scott. It's Friday. Uh, look, this is um, this is good until it's not. I mean, honestly, thats I think that's the best way i describe it, is that people, depending on the decisions that she or future mayors make, if people like the decisions that she may push through, if she does this, because I know she said that she's not a big fan of this, but, you know, we get into a situation... Everybody,
3: and, nobody's a big fan of it till they have to use it, then all of a sudden they're a fan of it.
10: Well, and then, and also, and I'm not talking about her specifically, but it does no. seem that when you give a politician, any politician power... Uh, eventually they grow to enjoy that power. So, you know, I mean, who knows where that will go? But but back to the idea. I mean, regardless of how often she uses, I don't know, but we, well, it's not like you can all of a sudden say, well, now I want to do this and you do it. I mean,
3: you still have to get, uh, it has, still has to fall within the realms of the province. It still has to uh, be approved by one third. It's not like you can all of a sudden, you know, She's I'm going to She's not a dictator, the, no. I'm gonna, Yeah, no,
10: I'm, I'm going to paint the city blue today. I mean, that well, it's not going to happen. That would be uh, probably more orange, I would guess, would be her color, but nonetheless. <laughs> um, I, I, <laughs> I would, never, Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, it, so again, I go back to it's good until it isn't. I, I, if you, with all of these mayors now, if you agree with the thing. That they push through with their strong mayor power, you'll say, you know what, this is an excellent way to make sure we get rid of gridlock and we move, we get, you know, bureaucracy out of the way and all the rest. If you disagree with the moves the mayors are going to make, you're going to say, this was a horrible decision that put too much power in one person's hands. It's all about where you fall relative to the decisions.
3: You know, I think we've always complained uh, for years about this city. One step forward, two steps back. Uh, everybody talks about great ideas. And then, of course, nobody really wants to to ruffle feathers or make waves. And everything just sort of stays the same. And nothing ever gets done. I think this will be good. Uh, and, again, obviously you brought up great points as well. But I think this will be good because it makes people accountable. So a mayor or councillor, whatever just can't say, well, you know, I tried. But they voted it this way. Yeah, you know what? We got it. But not so. The way the and nothing ever ever gets done. So now they have the tools in the toolbox. I love that phrase. Mm, yeah, <laughs> uh, they've got they've got at the, the tools of if the they day, need them. At, yeah. <laughs> so they they have no more they have no more excuses. They can get it done if they choose. And if they choose not to, there's no
10: excuses here. So I think it will make everybody more accountable. Yeah. The the, uh, the excuse if you want to use the word excuse if they don't use it to get something done the the explanation. Yeah. And I think it's a reasonable potentially explanation is look i don't want to flex my muscles i want to bring everyone into the discussion i don't want you know we had a democratic system that was so i get that they'll they'll want that this, here, look when when in the last election when andrea horvath won there was a map that was done of the voting for mayor in the city of hamilton and it was a donut Everywhere around, so the downtown, the old city, voted heavily for Andrea Horvath. The mm-hmm. suburbs voted heavily for Keenan Loomis and Bob Bertina and others for whoever else. Uh, it is going to be uh, really interesting because I don't think that Andrea Horvath wants. And I think she's a smart politician, whether you agree with her politics or not. I don't think she wants to come in and immediately make all those people who didn't vote for her on the whole outside of the donut go, ah, see, this is why. Because don't forget, probably she'll run for re-election. I I mean, I'm assuming we're way away from an election yet, but probably most of them do. This is going to make the mayoral race so much more interesting going forward. Mm, so point. much more interesting because now now it's going to take a lot away from the council race, quite honestly. But now who you vote for mayor is so impactful and it will probably, I would think, make way more people go out and vote because it's now one person who carries so much weight. Even if you yeah. believe your councillor has no real say because they're kind of weak or whatever, this mayor, the mayor you choose is going to have a huge impact. I would expect that voting numbers will be way up as long as this thing sticks around well there's an advantage right there
3: all right scott radley with us coming up after the six o'clock news the scott radley show read him in your hamilton
10: spectator scott you have yourself a great weekend you as well scott see ya and happy father's day and Thanks, ditto man. to you. No, no, I hadn't I hadn't left yet. I'm, I'm in the studio. I'm not going anywhere. Happy Father's Day to you as well.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
3: And that's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. This one via email from David. Who is driving the federal bus? The minions are driving the bus, and it's a short bus. Scott. The Prime Minister and his ministers are all riding the short bus, wearing their helmets and licking the windows. Marco Mendocino will not be resigning. Justin will be firing him, so it looks like he did something. Keep right, except to pass. Ninety (laughs) nine.